Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live, a pre-recorded show where for the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about uh, game movies. This first one is based on a role-playing game that uh, you've probably heard of. We're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Um, this is a spoiler light episode. Uh, we don't really describe the events of the movie too, too specifically in detail. So, you know, I would say there's not really spoilers. Um, there are, we do, we do spoil one or two small surprises though. So, like I said, spoiler light, and I don't think we mark them very well. So please enter at your own risk. Also, uh, Today, a um, little behind the scenes, I guess, the uh, the day of recording this one, I had, like, weird beef with The Rock, so I just kind of talk about The Rock for um, probably a little too long right at the beginning here. So, uh, today we are going to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and we're also going to talk a weird amount about Dwayne Johnson. So, um, be excited for that. But first, you're going to hear uh, the song I Wasn't Always a Thief, which is from very early on in the movie Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, composed by, and this is true, the same composer as the Black Adam soundtrack, Lauren Balf. Give it up for Lauren Balf, and here is I Wasn't Always a Thief. of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about games that have been turned into movies. Pierre, what's your favorite movie adapted from a role-playing or board game or video game? And why is it Battleship starring Rihanna? Oh, God. Don't re- I actually, I've never seen that movie, but just thinking about it, I've heard it looked so bad. I think I don't think anyone from that movie like, actually liked it. I don't actually know anyone who's seen it, myself included. I, I wish I could say for the joke that I'd seen it, but I have not. Right, yeah. It's it's interesting. Was Jumanji, like, actually a board game ever? Or was it always just a fake board game? I think Jumanji did become a board game, but, like, after the first movie. Like, I think uh, someone okay. adapted... I think it was a movie that they adapted into a board game, which is only notable because, like, it's a movie about a board game. Yeah. But I think the board game exists, but only after the first movie existed. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's too bad. I, I personally, I think Jumanji is an amazing 
it's the, it's the best board game adaptation on something that's not a board game. So it's quite impressive. It's it's been a while since I've seen the first Jumanji and the second the reboot. Like I did not see those two close together, so I can't really compare the two. But I loved the reboot too, and I was like very impressed with how that was adapted to you know basically twenty years later. Yeah, and, and the sequel. I thought the sequel was great too. They were both. Uh, I'm really surprised they haven't made a third one yet. If I'm going to be honest. I think like, I don't know if they had ever planned on making a third one, but I know that the sequel came out in what, like 2019 and yeah. the year after that was a bit cursed. So yeah, that's, that's probably why there's not a third one yet. It looks like they're working on it. Cause I remember at the end of the second one, there was that post credit scene where the video game started coming into real life. Like the, uh, the board game, uh, mm. the board, the first one with Robin Williams. So I thought that was, that was a cool thing. And it's also the only, one of the only franchises slash movies that I really like The Rock in. And yeah. speaking of The Rock, <laughs> you had Man. some things you wanted to so say like, about this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's it's been a long day. And one of the things that happened today is The Rock is just constantly... So The Rock is just constantly in the news. Obviously, I don't know how current any of this stuff is going to be by the time this episode comes out. Because... Straight up, if this episode comes out tomorrow, there will be 10 new stories about The Rock. He just is so ever-present in media right now, and I hate it so much. So, like, I don't know if I said this during our Jungle Cruise episode. I really want to like The Rock as an actor. I think he's a fantastic entertainer. He takes entertaining very seriously, but I think he, like, never pushes himself as an actor and the couple of times that he has or that he's been forced to buy the material, he's like, never done that again. And so I end up like really just being frustrated with him. Like Black Adam was such a turning point for me. I didn't love The Rock going into Black Adam, but I think I like hated him coming out of it. Anyway, uh, the point being... He 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 and Disney announced Moana is going to be adapted to a live action movie starring The Rock and at least presumably starring Auli Cravalho as well, reprising their roles from the animated movie. Which on the one hand, it's super interesting that they can like that like that remake is happening so soon after the original movie that they can do that, reprising their roles in a in like a completely different medium. I think that's kind of interesting, but like it combines two things I really hate, which is the rock being constantly in the news for some random nonsense he's doing and Disney live action remakes, which are in concept, not good. Occasionally one will come out that I don't hate, but like, I just do not like the concept even a little bit. And here we are with a Moana reboot or not reboot remake announced seven years after it came out, which like feels hilariously short. Although when you consider like other things that get remade, like force majeure took two years to remake, but like no one talks about that. Cause that's not someone re that's not someone adapting a cartoon to live action. That's someone adapting a movie from uh, for all intents and purposes, who knows where, to a movie from America, where which is the only place that matters. So, you know, that's different. I personally, I don't mind The Rock. I, the Rock's just an actor. He's getting paid. 
I mean, he's, I guess he's kind of a producer too, but I think it's more of the studios. The studios are so desperate for any type of movie star that they'll do anything that The Rock tells them to do. I guess. In, in terms of... He commands uh, a large box office. He does, yeah. In terms of the live, I'm, I'm just kind of interested to see how... I think Disney's like I think them doing Moana is like a sign of they are really running out of original. Well, they've they've been out of original movie ideas for a while. I should say they're really running out of remakes to make. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the next few years pan out because Disney's kind of in a tough spot right now. All their properties are kind of slowly sinking and um there's not really any sign of them going like recovering anytime soon it's weird because like on the one hand disney is comfortably making more money than anyone in the entire world on the other hand all of their properties are like underperforming like marvel movies are still the hottest shit in the universe because they're getting like they're commanding huge box offices but like just recently today as well i think I saw a news report that Marvel is going to like start scaling back the number of movies that they put out, which might be a good idea because there's they they like announced like 25 or something at D23 and that was way too much. But like <laughs> Marvel wouldn't be scaling back the number of movies they were they're producing if their movies were doing as well as they expected them to. And even yeah. though Ant-Man is like probably one of the highest grossing movies of this year so far, like, it's crazy that that can be true, and also it can be underperforming. But, like, for Disney, that's that's underperform. That can still be underperforming. Yeah, well, obviously, like, it's not so much about just making a slight profit for Disney. They want to be progressively increasing the amount of money they make, or else they're going to fire their CEO and come up with someone else. And they just got rid of one of their CEOs to replace him with another guy so with the guy that he replaced i think that was like a couple months ago but i think it'll be because i i from what i know about mr bob Iger, he's not a very creative ceo compared to his predecessor and you can you can tell with the amount of remakes they've been doing in the past few years and now that they're running out you really he needs to really there's a lot of pressure on him to start making some content that people want to watch that'll probably have to be original was the guy before Bob Iger Michael Eisner? Or was he yeah. two before Bob Iger? Okay. Yeah, Michael Eisner, like, I mean, to hear to hear my mom talk about him, because my mom grew up in Florida, and, like, all of her family has some ties to Disney, in that, like, all of them either worked at Disney, it's worked for or at Disney for some part of their life. So, mm-hmm. like, to hear my mom talk about Michael Eisner, you would think that he is a real-life Darth Vader. But then to hear, like... <laughs> I've I've like lo- watched a lot of videos and read a lot of stuff about Michael Eisner and like that's never contradicted but also like dude was kind of a legend. He was uh yeah. very much as you said like he was a much more creative CEO and also like he he clearly had like good relationships with very talented people that he could bring in. Yeah. I I think he was it, it seems like he was someone that was insanely good at a certain part of his job. And then once I think his partner, Frank Wells passed away and he was more in charge of the finances. 
he kind of had to mm-hmm. take up both jobs and that really affected his ability to run the company, I think. So, but I, it's, it's tough because he, I think he's a big reason why Disney is the cultural juggernaut it is today. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the last few years of his time there obviously tainted that, that memory, but I still think he was a, he was a great CEO and he's, he obviously had something that Bob Iger is missing. Whereas Bob Iger is, is amazing at running the company itself and with the finances. And he's obviously made a lot of money, but it was under him that they acquired Marvel and also mm. star Wars and also Fox. Yeah. So he, he's a great businessman, but I think if you're, if you were to push him to run a more creative company at, at the moment, uh, I don't think he could. He mostly relies on the people he hires to be creative, which is a good strategy. Mm-hmm. It's just they don't seem to be doing him a lot of good right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just risky because you have to you have to hire really good people. And like, sometimes you miss. Yeah, exactly. If today is anything to go on, uh, Dwayne John- Michael Eisner was the reason that Disney was as successful as it was in the past. And Dwayne Johnson is the reason that Disney is as, was as successful as it was in the future. Yes, I agree. <laughs> potentially, we'll see. I actually like. Okay, so the reason, the whole reason I wanted to bring up Dwayne Johnson is because uh, we have a. It's it's never become a segment yet, but we have like a very. I, I've been keeping mental notes. We have a very very small club on this podcast. The 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 Hall of Shame, the Classic Movies Live Hall of Shame that we eventually like eventually I have like ideas in a spreadsheet somewhere buried in my computer that like, I want to, I want to watch movies from everyone on the hall of shame and like try and redeem them. But uh, would you be, I really want to put Dwayne Johnson in our hall of shame. Can we do that for, for his work on black Adam? Sure. <laughs> okay. I, I personally, if he's, if he's by, for any reason, if he is listening to this, I'd, I'd, I'd be more, I'd actually be quite, I'd be extremely surprised he'd be listening to this. But if he is, for some reason, I have no personal beef with Dwayne Johnson. Uh, anyway, all of that sidetracking out of the way. I'm sorry I hijacked this whole thing to talk about Dwayne Johnson. I did warn you I was going to do it, but I'm sorry regardless. I I accept your apology. What are we What are we going to talk about today? Take Take us away, fam. We're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. And when you do this, you're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we help the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. Generally, what'd you think? First initial thoughts without like uh, too much commentary? What'd you it's, think? It's pretty fun. I wouldn't say it's like the best. I had low expectations and I had pretty high expectations. I think it came out like pretty satisfied and I had a fun time mm-hmm. for sure. And it felt like a very refreshing uh, movie. 
in terms of a blockbuster, but definitely not like this wouldn't really make it on like one of the best movies of the year for me. It's just it's a really fun experience, which is the point, you know, so I'm not I'm not complaining in any way. For sure. The main thing is that it's just really, really fun. I saw this yesterday as well. Uh, that was my second time seeing it this weekend. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. It did remind me, I guess, I don't know if you talked about it. It, it reminded me a lot of, it, it, it felt like a mixture between Jumanji and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like It was like kind of a, yes, an odd mesh of it where a lot, I think a lot of the concepts and the humor from Jumanji kind of felt in uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And then the way the group worked together felt very in line with the Guardians movies, as well as a little bit of the humor and character traits. What I was really hoping for going into this movie is that, like, I don't know how much Dungeons and Dragons you've played. I'm I'm certain we'll talk about that very shortly. But, like, I was really hoping that the, the team would feel like a Dungeons and Dragons party, which is just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing or, like, no varying degrees of what they're doing playing disparate characters who probably shouldn't be in the same group, but like kind of works out. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but like I got that exact feeling from this movie. Uh, These felt like um, when you said Jumanji, that's what really reminded me in this movie of Jumanji because it felt like, yes, we were watching Chris Pine, but I could absolutely believe that it was someone role-playing Chris Pine. Yeah. (laughs) Like like in Jumanji where it's like, we're seeing The Rock, but it's actually a kid playing The Rock. Yeah, there, there. I think there were hints. They obviously, at least for, I, I think I missed like the first minute of this movie. But from what I could tell, there was no like outright references to this is all in a game. But yeah, I think if you are a D&D player, from what I was reading online, a lot of D&D players could notice that there are certain aspects of the movie that a D&D player could find relatable slash funny because that's what happens to them when they play their games. Yeah, like the fact that uh, the, the the paladin being extremely serious and like no nonsense is like an ex- that's a real player we've all played with. Or the very first character they introduce in this is an orc who is not just as an orc, but like the person playing this orc is a terrible human being. Like he comes right out the gate with misogyny and knowing the entire game better than everyone else and gets his shit handed to him right away. And like, that's, that's that guy. Everyone's had that guy. Yeah. And I I think like a lot of the spells and the race, I think the biggest thing I noticed was the races and the, I guess, character classes. um, Mm -hmm. I thought were like a pretty obvious addition or inclusion in the movie as well. Yeah, and like if you're if you're very familiar with D&D lore and items and such, like there's there's a bunch in there that people would recognize, but that aren't necessarily like pointed out, which is really nice. I like I never like it in movies when there's like I'm not going to say obvious references, but when like a character is like this is this item that everyone knows. <laughs> You know, just so that they can like show you that they did in fact read the book that this is based on or something. But like there were a bunch of things in the show in the movie that like anyone who plays not anyone who plays D D. If you're if you're very into D D, you'll recognize them. If you're not, there's still powerful items that make a difference, but it like doesn't matter where they're from. Apparently, like all of the lore characters they bring up in this are like actual lore characters, which 
is cool. I am not that familiar with the lore, so I didn't realize that. But uh, that was a neat touch that when I was looking it up afterwards, I'm like, oh, I appreciate when like movies or stories that take place in an existing world don't have to create a bunch of new characters to make their story work. Like, obviously the main characters of this movie aren't lore characters, and they shouldn't be. But, like, a lot of the backstory and stuff isn't... They didn't create a backstory. They just used the backstory that already existed. Because why would you create a special backstory if you've already got one? Yeah, I I think... um, Well, there was... I, I, I honestly couldn't follow that much of the... Like, the at least the world backstory if that makes sense like there's a lot of talk of races and like different um historical events that i didn't really understand um i thought all the characters uh themselves i liked how they were like a crew before and it mm-hmm. was like a a cute like i, I like the idea that he was um in a thieving group with his daughter i thought that was a cute idea and that like he was i like the idea of him raising his daughter with a friend that he doesn't necessarily have any uh any feelings for or is in a relationship with i thought that was a really refreshing take on on that trope as well um mm-hmm. i just i liked yeah the backstory was good they also get that out of the way really quickly and i think pretty effectively too i thought the there's the first scene is uh what they're at they're looking to get parole and so it's basically a huge excuse to dump exposition all over for like two or three minutes and it's it's relatively entertaining because of the situation they're in and it's delivered by a bard like that's a character class that's kind of perfect for delivering exposition because they give a lot of flat they, they give big long flowery speeches that's their whole point so like it's a lot of expo- exposition but it never feels intrusive because it like the context makes sense it's delivered by a guy who's like literally stalling for time at the time. So that's why he has to say his entire backstory. And yeah. uh, once it's done, it's done. And we get on to the actual story very quickly. Yeah. I also think, I mean, they picked a really good actor to be a bard. I think Chris Pine is someone that doesn't really need a good script or he doesn't need to, doesn't even need to be really acting extremely well. He's just a very charismatic person, I think. And it comes off very mm-hmm. well in the roles he's casted in. So um, I think like he was perfect for a bard because he's just, he's just talking a lot and he's, he's very good at, at talking in, in movies mm-hmm. and making it interesting. So he was very well casted as the bard. And I also, I, I also like Michelle Rodriguez. I've, I've never thought I'd say that, but I, I liked Michelle Rodriguez a lot as I think she was a barbarian, right? Um, uh, yeah, she was great in that, and we didn't have to talk that much, which was nice. <laughs> and then also, also she she gave she actually gave a very like heartwarming performance. She has she has some great great scenes with Chris Pine and I don't know if this is a spoiler, but but Bradley Cooper partway through the movie, oh, yeah. which was like. Yeah. It was actually like I thought it was setting up as like a really big joke, but it was actually a surprisingly very sweet scene. Um, that scene in my theater, both of the times I saw that, everyone was like falling out of their seats, crying, laughing during that scene. Because like, I mean, you're right. I, I had a better, I, I, I was better able to like follow it the second time. It's just a very heartwarming scene played really straight. 
But the situation is so funny that like it kind of works both ways. It definitely works both ways. Not even kind of like it's a very funny scene, even though it's actually just fully earnest. Yeah, the just it's like the situation itself. They never really make a joke in it, except for I think when Michelle Rodriguez sees him, doesn't he pat him on the head or something? <laughs> like I, I think Michelle Rodriguez like, pats really? him on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was pretty funny. I think everything else that was played pretty straight, and Bradley Cooper, like I couldn't even tell it was him. His voice was like different, and he was acting so not bradley cooper like like he was extremely earnest and like nice and it wasn't like i thought it'd be a cameo he was playing a hobbit dude i know yeah but he was actually a really good <laughs> it was hobbit. so funny yeah like yeah like that's like i think it's funny that he was there but the role itself wasn't funny at all it was actually a very well acted and like sweet scene so i think and i think i mm-hmm. like that about the movie where there's a lot of scenes that are actually just very genuine and it surprises you because you don't really expect that in this movie, um, especially in situations where it feels like it's set up for a joke, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I just remembered. Did we actually say what this movie is about? Do you want to? Do you want to briefly summarize this movie for us, Pierre? Uh, it's about these guys go on a quest. Chris Pine is alienated from his daughter because he was in prison for like a few years, and in the meantime. Hugh Grant's character, his name is Forge, kind of kidnapped his daughter or tricked him into thinking Chris Pine is evil. So basically, Chris Pine has to get together a group and figure out how to break into the castle and get his daughter back while also getting the seal of reawakening, I think it's called, to revive his dead wife that Forge also stole from him. And Forge is in league with an evil wizard. So that's why he's (laughs) difficult to actually like deal with, even though he's just a weak little guy. Yeah. I I love Hugh Grant in this movie too. He's actually, I love him in everything, especially recently. This character felt very Paddington 2-esque. I think he's just really good at that role. And like, I could watch him be a pretentious asshole (laughs) for like hours and I would be very entertained. He's really good at being a guy who feels like he should be a good guy, but is actually just the most despicable villain. Yeah, I was surprised. I was expecting some kind of redemption arc for him. But no, he's just straight up kind of a, a funny asshole. I liked how they didn't like make him really stupid, though. Like He's, he's very cunning. He acts very silly. But mm-hmm. for the most part, like he, his plan worked out for what he wanted to get, right? And I thought, yeah. I thought that was cool. And he had he had a good dynamic with the witch, the red witch. I can't remember what her name was, but they had. I just liked how he he obviously thought she was really creepy, but he was just trying to be nice to her because she was very powerful. The actress's name was Daisy Head. The character's name was Sophina, the red Sophina. wizard. Okay, Sophina, the red wizard. That that's one. I I kind of wish there was more there. I think her character felt kind of flat for me as the main villain. It was kind of funny to me because like from the moment she's introduced, she's very clearly the villain and she doesn't have a whole lot going on except that she is very clearly evil, looks evil, runs around with a bunch of people who also look evil and is probably going to be the villain of the movie. So I felt that like, I felt that really worked kind of as a joke just because it's like, oh, well, here's the actual villain. But then like her and Forge had kind of the same relationship 
as Edgen and Holga, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's characters, where Chris Pine is doing a lot of the acting heavy lifting and Michelle Rodriguez is like the brawn behind everything and is really good in that role. And like Sophina and Forge have kind of the same thing going on. He's the brains, kind of, not really, but like, a f- but like he's the face and she's the person running everything. I think they yeah, kind of she, work as a as a neat mirror to that. She needed him to uh, basically get all the people together. Or a part of her plan was to, to get a lot of people into one place. And Forge is very charismatic slash manipulative. And he also wanted to get a bunch of people in one place for a very different reason. So I guess their goals aligned for yeah. different their goals align for different purposes. And if there's one thing that Sophina isn't, it's charismatic, considering she looks like an evil lizard person the moment yeah. you see her. That's like so, the point. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. I guess I wish there was a little, I, I wish we saw more of her being disgusted with Hugh Grant. And I like, I just, I really like that dynamic and we mm-hmm. much would have liked to see it play out more. But she ended up being more like, I want to say like a Ronan, like Ronan the Accuser from Guardians. Funny enough. Yeah. Or, or even any, I guess any villain in Jumanji, both the villains in Jumanji, I, I couldn't tell you who they were. I don't remember at all. Until you mentioned it, I had completely forgotten Jumanji had villains. Right, exactly. Yeah. I guess it's mostly like they're trying to, they're fighting against the environment. But I get, yeah. you could also say that about this movie too, until like the end end. It's mostly like, them adventuring through different settings and dealing with different conflicts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So uh, what did you think of the rest of the cast of this? There, there, there's also Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, who I have seen in almost nothing, but that makes sense because she's still pretty young. And Regé Jean Page, who also I have not seen in very many things, but is having like a bit of a moment right now. Yeah, I've seen his name and I don't know what he's been in, but I've seen him Bridgerton. in a couple things. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Bridgerton, yeah. but I, I guess that's where I've heard of him. From. That was his big breakout role. And yeah. you've also seen him in The Gray Man, but I don't know if he would have oh, stuck out yeah. there because he was very different. No one really did except Chris <laughs> Evans. Yeah. Um. No, I I kind of liked a lot of the side characters. Kind of fell flat for me, like. Justice Smith, I don't know why he keeps getting hired. He he plays like a very similar character every time, but I never really like it. Like it's like sort of enjoyable, but like he's been cast in he was like lead in the Pokemon first ever Pokemon movie. He was a lead character in one or two of the Jurassic Park movies, Jurassic World movies. Um Was he? I don't he know wasn't he was in, in Jurassic World. One dominion okay never mind he might have been in the first two i think he had a cameo oh no he was definitely in the second one he was in the second one um yeah and he was in and he's in this movie these are all three very big blockbuster movies that and i don't like he's not really good that good of an actor he he reminds me of jay baruchel uh he's he's like the jay baruchel of of the of the late 2010s where he's just that awkward guy in these big blockbuster movies with no charisma, but he's like, people make fun of him. I don't think either of them, I think Jay Baruchel might've been a little better at it, but I don't think either of them, that role is never really funny to me. 
it's interesting that you bring up Jay Baruchel specifically because Jay Baruchel, I wouldn't exactly call him a powerhouse of Canadian cinema, but he's, he's had a much better moment in like Canadian movies than in a lot of his like 2010s American comedies. And um, mm. it's sort of what I was going to say about Justice Smith is um, hope, hopefully not just wishful thinking, but like the biggest roles that he's had, like the ones in Jurassic World, mm. Uh, the one in like this movie and the Pokemon movie aren't haven't been like great showcases for his acting. So the fact that he's like not fantastic in any of them, he, he might just have not had his moment yet. It's weird that he's had these three huge movies and hasn't had his moment yet, but like he's been a side character in each of them. So maybe, maybe there's something coming. Yeah. I hope so. Well, actually, I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't want to see him in any other movies, but I'm sure he'll get his moment eventually. If I ever see Justice Smith's moment, I'll uh, I'll let you know and we'll talk about it. Wait, I'm just trying to find like, is he related to someone? Like, where is he getting all? I I thought he might have been because he has a very common last name. So I thought like maybe he's related to Will Smith or something like that in some weird way. But no, is he's raised in California. That's that's the most I can tell from. But maybe as like a, his parents are part of the industry, in like a non. Uh, he was in the Voyeurs. I don't know what that is. Huh. It's a movie that I still have to watch, but it's okay. very. It's supposed to be very very funny. Probably not intentionally so though. Um. But yeah, and it's it's the same thing with uh. <laughs> anyway. what, what did you think of uh like the the changeling, or shapeshifter shapeshifter. I thought she I thought she was fine. I think this like she was she was very much a side character and I thought she was really good as a side character. A lot of the things I liked best about her were in the CGI, not in her performance. But like I didn't dislike her either. I thought she was really good in that role. It was just a very ultimately kind of a small role. She got to be the person in the group that doesn't talk that much. <laughs> kind of. Well, see, that's what it's like like if you had to ask me to describe her character, I honestly She's she's the one that kind of hates humans, but not really. She's the Hulk, except like not quite as funny as the Hulk, but the same like vibe. Kinda, yeah. I just it, it felt weird that her character like was so many well written characters that we just two of the main two of the main cast in my opinion just weren't really hitting for me. So yeah, the, what about what, what was his name? John Claude Philip or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, Jean-Claude Philip, Regé Jean Page. Uh, <laughs> Not even close. I'm just gonna Yeah, I, I loved him. <laughs> yeah, he was funny. So Regé Jean Page plays Zenk Yendar in this, who is a paladin, but he's he's a paladin from the evil people like the, the evil tribe of people. He he's he's from Fey, which is also where all the bad guys are from. So initially they're distrustful of him, but he is extremely strong he plays everything super straight and he is a million times more qualified to do anything in this movie than anyone else is like in in terms of his character uh and he's really funny i loved him in this he was basically like he took himself so seriously that he was the butt of every joke which is like when pulled off really well i really like that type of a character in like any movie and i think this was awesome yeah, he was. He I, gets I just so many good lines. His character was such a like. I wish we had more of him. I think he he was a very good side character who just 
I liked how perfect he was for some reason and how much Chris Pine did not like him. The first time he talks to Michelle Rodriguez, she goes, they're explaining their relationship to Forge Fitzwilliam. And Michelle Rodriguez goes, in other words, he's a son of a bitch. And without any hesitation, Zenki Endar comes back with, so you blame his mother for his corruption. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, there's like a lot of cute moments like that. Um, it remind, it kind of reminds me of, I guess, Chris Pratt and Thor, uh, his dynamic with Chris Pine. And I, I don't know, it was a it was a fun dynamic and it, it was cool to see another, I guess, part of Chris Pine's character, the when when he does not want to impress someone or he's not trying to sweet talk someone, he's and he's just straight up jealous. <laughs> or not jealous, but he just did yeah. not like the guy. And it's funny because he's such a likable guy too. So Yeah, it's just I mean, I think Chris Pine's character is just naturally suspicious of people. He brings, he surrounds himself with people who are ultimately not very good people. So when he meets yeah. someone who's just genuinely good, he's like, I don't trust him. I don't trust him immediately. Like yeah. So that was fun. And yeah, I, I think the the plot overall, it, I, th- I think it kind of dragged a bit. But overall, I had like, I thought it was a good idea of, of it being like a family story, if that makes sense. Um, it really mm-hmm. grounded it and it gave uh, Chris Pine's character a very, I mean, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's character is like a very solid emotional arc, which results mm-hmm. in like a very surprising, surprisingly emotional ending that I wasn't expecting to. Yeah. When you like really break down the story, it's, it's very simple. It's just like all the different pieces are, are really well executed. Mm hmm. Yeah, especially like it, I would say the second act is basically pointless. It's just, it's basically just a a fun way for them to go around the world. And like, we get to see a lot of different things. Like there's the scene of them raising the dead to ask questions, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And apparently the scene with them raising the dead is for some reason slightly different in the Australian version, which like, I don't know. That's weird to me. I need to see the Australian version now because apparently like there's a comedy group that I believe is Australian, Auntie Donna, who do voices for that scene, but they don't do them in the like normal English version, like the English language version. They just do them in the Australian version, which is such a weird touch if true. So I'm very curious to see the Australian version now. Yeah, I, I, That that actually be really cool. I wanna I wanna see that as well. I think it'd be cool if they like make more movies where there's like those little country specific jokes. I remember in Zootopia there was like for the news anchors they had a lot of different like I guess the news anchor was different for each country, um, which was cute because it was just like a couple lines. And I think in uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, his list his to do list is different depending on where you watch the movie, where in the world you are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, wait yeah, that was a that was a thing. So yeah, I like because like in Australia, it's like here's here are the things I missed out on, and in Australia, it says like Kylie Minogue, yeah. where in the U.S. it says like Michael Jackson or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So little little stuff like that like is really cute. But yeah, it's a fun movie. There's you know there's obviously some stuff lacking. Sometimes the humor wasn't as well hitting as I would have liked, um, but it was still pretty funny. Like, I, if you compare these directors, they did Game Night, which I, I thought was very, very funny. Obviously, this isn't a straight-up comedy, but 
I think this was probably the weakest movie I've seen them write uh, so far. Blocked Have you only wise. seen the two? I saw that. They, I think they did Vacation as well in 2015. That was bad. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. That was worse than this one. <laughs> but that, I think they. Well, just then you can't say this was the there. weakest. Sorry. Yeah. The, the weakest of their big blockbuster movies, I should say. So what you're actually saying is it was weaker than Game Night. That's really all you're saying. With no, that. they did uh, Spider-Man as well. Oh, did they? Wait, no. The first, the Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Did I they, don't know like, how much it, or... they wrote it, but then I think they had rewrites done to their script as well. So I don't know how much of it was them, but they had, had a decent part of the first script. Unless they're just oh, being okay. credited because the union is requiring them to be credited for making a script even though it was completely rewritten <laughs> it says they were co-writers but there were also three other credited four other credited writers so you know with anything like that it's hard to know how much of that was them but like you know i'll give them the benefit of the doubt i'm sure that the stuff they wrote for homecoming was good because most of that movie was good so like yeah, yeah. well I, i'd say it felt very I, I'd, I'd say both like the the tone of spider-man homecoming and like the general vibe i think reminded me a lot of this movie in some ways mm-hmm. I, I thought like with spider-man homecoming a lot of the more heartfelt moments were done much better than far from home which no what was it yeah far from home which they did not write and i could feel like there was a there was a pretty big difference in terms of the script there but mm-hmm. yeah know. Right. it's it's a it's a fun time and i'm surprised that dungeons and dragons was made as interesting as it was in this movie because i before i played it i just i never really cared about it but i finally am invested in the dungeons and dragons universe it's a game that is like it's hard to recommend really anytime any anytime i'm talking to anybody about it it's like it really it's great with the right group and like even if the group that you're playing with is like all of your very close friends that still might not be the right group. Like I've had games where I'm playing with only people I like and it just hasn't worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember the old Dungeons and Dragons movie or old like from 20 from 2002 or something. And like I don't remember it well. I know that I saw it and I know that it was like confusing. Not like confusing in I don't know. It was it wasn't like a really intricate, complex story. It was just like one of those movies that came out in the early 2000s and made you kind of wonder why it existed. And I think it was about people that were transported into the Dungeons and Dragons world, which is like it's an old it's an old trope that very, very few movies can do well and no movies should try it unless they are very confident in it, like Jumanji. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I, I feel like they might have done that specifically if Jumanji hadn't done it already. Yeah, to great success. So, I th- oh, when I was when I was going into this movie, I was really really hoping that it would be a dynamic that like that the group would be a group that felt like a group of people role playing these characters. Uh, I was very satisfied with that because that's the exact feeling I got. The one thing I did not want to see was at any point it cutting out to the real world for any reason be that to show who is playing these characters and show them like sitting around a table like a cute little thing or you know the fact that these characters were all just chris pine and michelle rodriguez but they were brought into the world i didn't want to see any of that 
because that is a bad idea and that's not the point of I mean like I said it's a bad idea to even try in a movie because it's very very hard to get right and you got to be really confident in your idea and that has to be what your idea is about so like that would not have worked for this Dungeons and Dragons movie and I'm very glad they didn't do it mm. yeah I, uh, I I think it was it was good that they went for a relatively straightforward take and it felt it felt mm-hmm. very unique considering the way they did it. I there was some aspects I thought were really cool that they I think that made it feel special. Like I thought the use of animatronics and uh, puppets I want to say puppets were like was mm-hmm. was really well done and I think added to like the atmosphere of it. As in, there's that one joke at the start where they're waiting for a a bird man named Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was really it was funny them seeing them interact with jonathan who very obviously looked like a puppet but i think it added to like the fun of it like it wasn't like a mm-hmm. bad puppet it was a very well-made puppet but it was obviously not a Birdman. man um, but i think that added yeah. a lot to the scene and it played off very well compared to if that bird was cgi it would have looked just very off and nowhere near as i think this movie struck a it struck a really good balance between CGI and practical effects. Cause like anytime they could use practical effects, they did. And then it made the CGI not look super off when they ended up using CGI for like fireballs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It was a really surprisingly well-made movie on a technical level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, cgi wise i mean they had they had a very good mix of cgi and um yeah and live action props and i i hope we see more of that in blockbusters too it's very refreshing Mm -hmm. to see that's what i mean like i I wouldn't say this was like a great movie but it's just it felt a little different compared to what we usually see in our blockbusters right now so yeah i really want to see more blockbusters like this yeah it's just a a fun time and it, it also didn't really feel like it was setting up a franchise in any way either which i appreciated too i think mm-hmm. they are it's not from what i was reading it sounds like they want to do like a tv show <laughs> and a movie another movie as well probably if this one works out well but i I'm, I'm i'm happy for that because the movie was good but there was no uh like sequel bait and there was no like yeah like setting up of characters that didn't really matter for potentially a spin-off or anything which i really appreciated and like even the MacGuffin is gone by the end. Like they use it up. So like there's no obvious thread for how this story continues. Yeah. Not that it can't. So like mm-hmm. I, I I like that. I like that it's like if this is the only Dungeons and Dragons movie that comes out in this continuity or whatever, mm-hmm. then uh, it's it's fine. It works out. This is a good. This is a really good uh, one and done movie. And if there are more, then I will go and see them because I want to see more of Roger Jean Page as a paladin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Yeah. But no more of Justice Smith, please. <laughs> Replace him. Replace him in the the shapeshifter, please. And I will be. I will enjoy the next movie a lot more. The ideal version of a next movie for this doesn't has has like a different cast of characters, in my opinion. I don't think they fully want to do that, but I think that, like, I want to see... I I think that, like, 
the way they set up the world with this too, the world is rich enough that they can just like have a new cast of characters every time and do something cool and special every time. Yeah. If they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, also um, that would mean we wouldn't get Chris Pine again. And he was very good. That, that's the thing. I, I do really want Chris Pine back. So unless, unless they make the, the next movie so good, they don't need Chris Pine, but yeah, it was a plus. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. What would you uh, what would you give this one out of ten, Pierre? Uh, I'd say like a six point five, probably. Nice. I'd say it's a strong seven for me. I I saw it twice in the span of three days, and like I'm not gonna go see it again in theaters probably, but as soon as it comes out on v- video on demand mm-hmm. or on Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. I am immediately going to rewatch it because there's a scene in this where Rijay uh, Jean Page says, this is where I leave you. And then he starts walking away and he walks in a very straight line <laughs> with color commentary from Chris Pine, <laughs> which is very funny. And I want to see that scene again. Yeah, it's honest, it's, it's a very rewatchable movie. I'd love to see this again um, when it comes out. It's a very relaxing movie to watch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Pierre, what's our last word? Dungeons. Not relevant. Wanna hold out a 